0: Good Friday service is is, uh, encouraging. I know for myself personally, and I'm assuming for our church as well, to fellowship with other churches, and it is good. And uh, we can do this today. And I'm grateful that your pastor Kent and I have been able to work on this together and to uh, have this happening here today. And who knows? This might be the beginning of a yearly event, and we'll. Just take it one step at a time, and it it's good. Unfortunately, my wife could not be with us this morning. She has been fighting a cold uh, the past almost 10 days now. Uh, it's not COVID. She's been tested twice. She'd last the whole pandemic until this past week and a half before getting tested. and uh, But uh, she's just home not feeling well. I appreciate your prayers for her, and Lord willing, she'll be able to be in church on Easter Sunday morning. So let's get to our text. We've read Isaiah 52 and 52 down to the end of chapter 53. Isaiah writes this approximately 700 years before the fulfillment of this prophecy. If you're here this morning and if you, if you have any doubts to the inspiration and the authority of the scripture, this one passage alone should just drive that away from your mind and from your heart and your understanding. To see the power of God and the authority of His Word, His God-breathed Word that He prophesies over 700 years before it takes place. And now we can look back and see that and be encouraged that the Word of God is true and we can trust in it and we can be confident in it and obey it for God's honor and for God's glory and for our good. We come here this morning to really just celebrate the uh, main event in human history, the death of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, his resurrection, which we will celebrate and worship this Lord's Day as we do every Lord's Day. That Christ rose from the grave. But this morning we want to focus on the cross, the central point of all history. The Apostle Paul declared that he was determined to know nothing save Christ and him crucified. This was the apostles' way of emphasizing the extreme importance of the cross to biblical and to Christianity. This is what he wants to know. This is what he proclaims. This is what he talks about Christ crucified. As Isaiah in this chapter prophesies this wonderful event, the fulfillment, which is the fulfillment of the promise of the incarnation we celebrate at Christmas. This is why Christ came to go to the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to take our place. This is the fulfillment of the promise that we see in Christmas. This song, this suffering servant song, can, is broken down into five stanzas, and the titles are not with, original with me because I'm not that smart, they are coming from a commentator, Barry Webb, and he says this. The first stanza, verse chapter 52, verses uh, 13 to 15, is this. God's wisdom revealed. The second stanza, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 53, the despise and reject it. Verses 4 to 6, healed by his wounds. 7 to 9 is a sinless, silent sufferer. And then the fifth stanza, verse 10 to 12, is crowned with glory and honor. In the first stanza, we see the God's wisdom revealed. This is a set, this first stanza, if you read it, uh, is really a summary of the entire song. It is, "The wisdom of God displayed, and the servant will utterly, and the servant will utterly confound human wisdom." And you read through that and be blessed and encouraged by that. That's the first stanza. The second stanza we find in verse uh, uh, 1 to 3 of chapter 53. Here, despise and rejected, As we're focusing on Christ, and of course, him going to the cross. Listen again as Isaiah writes these words of him being despised and rejected. Who hath believed what they've heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root of dry ground. He had no former majesty we should look at him, and no beauty that we should despi- desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Here, as the, the I want to say, psalmist, but as Isaiah the prophet writes for us. And he says, who has believed what they've heard from us? Who has believed the message of the gospel of grace? One commentator called Isaiah the Romans of the Old Testament. And that's for another sermon another time. But it's just remarkable how the the emphasis on the gospel in Isaiah. And of course, referring to Christ in verse 2, how that he was really not the picture of the conquering Messiah that Israel had in mind. They had in mind, of course, a conquering Israel, a Messiah going to come and, th- and reestablish Israel as a premier nation of the world, as a as world power, but Jesus did not do that. And they missed that and they could not see that. And because he was not their, their, their ideal of their Messiah, though they missed all this in Isaiah 52 and 53. Notice here in verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men. Think about that phrase for a moment. He was despised. Here is the King of glory. Here is the eternal Son of God, the God-man. He was despised. And he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and a man acquainted with grief. He knew all of this in his life. And we come to the Gospels and we see that in John chapter 11. He wept. And how often he wept over the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. He wept. He's a man of souls. He's acquainted with grief. He knew all about it. And it's interesting, it says here, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. Here the idea of despised is they covered their faces in disgust, in aversion to him. And especially on the cross where we read in chapter last, paragraph 52, where he was marred. Book of verse 14 and 52. He says, And they were astonished at you. His appearance is so marred beyond human semblance and formed beyond that of the children of mankind. Here is Jesus. Here is the Messiah. Here is the Promised One, the Eternal Son of God, so tortured that He could not be recognized as a human being. And they hid their faces from Him in disgust, in aversion, Not only in his his entire life, but especially on the cross. And we want to think about this. So he went through all this for you and for me. He was despised and rejected by men, and we hid their faces. He was despised, and we did not consider him. We esteemed him not. He was a pretender. He was a fraud. He was despised and rejected. Then it goes on in the third stanza and reminds us here, lest he, we are healed by his wounds. Surely, certainly, he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we seem stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is much for us to think about here as we think about the cross and what Christ went through and what Christ did when he experienced for us his substitutionary atonement, taking our place and paying the penalty for our sin. Look at this. He has borne, notice here the prophet, under inspiration is our. So his and his nation Israel's and, and our sins today as we look at this, he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He has done this. He was smitten by God. And he comes back to that theme later on in this in this song, smitten by God. This was God's desire and God's plan for our salvation, for our deliverance from the power and the authority of sin. His own Son going to the cross. But He's borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Think about that—the sinless Son of God. As Isaiah is prophesying here, what He would do, that He was wounded for my transgression; He was crushed for our iniquities. Here again, we see this in, this idea of crushed. Remember back in Genesis uh, chapter three in verse 15 where he says, God says as I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel here he was crushed bruised for our iniquity he has experienced all this. He has done this. Not just the sins of Israel at the time of Isaiah, but our sins right here today. He experienced all this. And here again, paying the penalty for our sin. Upon Him was a chastisement that brought us peace. All the wrath of God for our sin was He experienced and took upon him for what purpose that we may be healed? Thinking about this, what Christ has done for you on the cross, what He's done for us, we did for Isaiah and for the nation of Israel, what He's doing today as well, what He's done for us. Upon Him, He experienced all the wrath of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in a few more days, a couple more days, we're going to celebrate and worship the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Demonstrating God vindicated Him and He is Jesus, the Son of God, and He defeated death and defeated sin. He experienced all this. And by His stripes we are healed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which I notice is in our bulletin as well this morning, here Paul writes and reminds us for our verse 21, for our sake, think about it. Again, I want us to meditate and think about this reality of who was going to the cross for our sake. God made Christ to be sin, the who knew no sin, so that in Him, that in Christ alone, as we just sung about, we might become the righteousness of God. We may be justified, declared righteous before God. We may be holy. We may become children of the holy God. Because by His, as we see here in Isaiah, upon Him was chastisement that brought us peace. He took the penalty. He paid the penalty which I deserved for a purpose to bring us peace, bring us peace with God. To be right with Him. And Israel as a nation, Isaiah's day missed this. The the nation of Israel during Christ's life missed this. The world missed this. There are many today who are remembering Good Friday and it's Easter weekend and all the other things go along with that. From worldly perspective, there are those in churches today that are going to say, Hey, I went to church on Good Friday. Isn't it great? No. It's good to be here, don't get me wrong. But it's not going to make us right with God. I work with people who think by going to church a day they're doing their duty to God and they're getting points with God. No. Because our sins separate from him but He made it possible that we could be delivered from the power and authority of sin. And that's why we are here today as a group and as a congregation of people to worship God and to thank God for sending a Son to die for us that we might have life eternal, which we do not deserve. And He took our place. Let's go on. Verse 6, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone in His own way. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of His all. That's our response. We go away. We turn at it. Look at this last phrase. And this last phrase is challenging. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. George Whitfield made a comment in one of his sermons. If one sin, for one sin, if we deserve all of the eternity of hell, all the wrath of hell, how deserving are we? But read here what the suffering servant, Jesus Christ did, the Messiah, God's own Son. God laid on Him the iniquity of us all. All my iniquity, all my rebellion, all my transgressions, all my sin, all of it. In this glorious one sense, Christ paid the penalty for it. He took mine. He took yours. And the majesty, the glory of the love of God being displayed. Some, oftentimes people say, "Well, God, you really love me. You wouldn't do this, or you wouldn't bring me through all this." Stop for a moment and think about what you're trying to say. What you're saying, God showed His love in a way that is in an unimaginable greatness, sending His Son to die on the cross for your iniquity your sin to take your place to pay the penalty for your sin that's how much god loves you loves you isn't that, isn't that wonderful and glorious and encouraging god you love me how if you love me you wouldn't do this to me wait a minute look what god has really done for you does love to make the fact that you could be at peace with god you can be justified made right with god this is what he's done for you so yes god has loved you so much more than we ever calculate we go on the fourth stanza he says this he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened out his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep before a shearer's side so he opened out his mouth he didn't demand his rights Reminded of a song um, where my pastors used to sing he could have called ten thousand angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he died alone for you and for me. He was oppressed and he did not open his mouth. He was on the cross. There are seven sayings from the cross. We understand that. We know that. But he did not, re- what he's referring to here, he did not open his mouth in protest to all the oppression, all the punishment, all of the physical sufferings. That he was taking and, of course, becoming sin for us. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he's taken away. And as for his generation, who considered to cut off from the land of the living? Stricken for the transgression of my people. Here, reminds us, the sinless, silent sufferer willingly went to the cross. Stricken. And here's the reason why. For the transgression of my people made the grave with his wicked and rich in his death, although he had done no violence, no deceit in his mouth, referring, of course, to his death and to his burial. Then we see in stanza five, we see the reality crowned with glory and honor. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. This is where Genesis three fifteen comes in, as I mentioned earlier. God has put him to grief. When a soul makes an offering for the guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Under the anguish of the soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous, and shall bear he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him portion with the many. He divided the spoil with the strong because he poured his soul to death and was numbered to transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and make intercession for the transgressors. Here, verse 10: Yet it was the will of the Lord. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. King James reminds, uh, translated this way: It pleased the Lord to crush him. You know, this phrase, this truth is overwhelming. And here is the sovereign, all-powerful God, the Father, who reminds us here in the ESV is His will, and also be translated, it pleased the Lord to crush Him. As a father, that's hard. As a human father, that's hard to comprehend. That's hard to wrap my brain around. But here, it was the will of the Father. It was the will of God, the Triune God, to crush. His own Son, Jesus. It, it was His will, His pleasure. And again, Genesis 3.15, we find in the very beginning of history this reality. Christ Himself paying the penalty for our sin, taking our place. It ple- It was the will of the Lord to crush Him, to put Him to grief. Why? Because the soul makes an offering for guilt. They're paying the penalty for your sin and for my sin. Isn't that overwhelming this morning? We who are Christians, we who have been born again for many years, sometimes we forget the magnitude of the love of God. We forget it was God's will to crush Him. Why? Because He did something wrong? No. Far from it. Make a soul an offering for guilt. Paying the penalty for our sin, taking our place. My friends, how often we forget the depths of God's love is mercy and and of his grace. It was His will to crush him, to bruise him, to put him to grief. Why? When his soul makes an offering for guilt. And his next phrase is glorious. Here is a prophecy of his own resurrection. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He is going to rise from the dead. The death is not the end. He rises from the grave, defeating the power and the authority of sin. And now has ascended to glory, sitting right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, which, by the way, Isaiah makes reference to here in verse 12. Of the anguish of a soul, he shall see see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Christ, his payment for our sin will be accepted by God. Our atonement is, is accomplished. He shall be satisfied. By his knowledge, here it is. To the righteous one my servant make many to be kept righteous it is through Christ alone that we that you are justified you are made righteous no one can ever change that no one can ever move that and here's the reason why our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And here's the reason why. It is not what I can do. But it's this, because He shall bear their iniquities. That's why you this morning, by God's grace, and through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you can say you are justified, you are righteous, because Christ went to the cross, and he bore your iniquities, and he bore my iniquities. Oh, the power of the cross. And he goes on, therefore, again, referring to Christ's resurrection and ascension to glory. Therefore, divide him a portion with the many, and divide the spoil of the strong, because he poured his soul to death and his number of transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Oh, the work of Christ. Did not stop on the cross the work of Christ did not stop the resurrection it continues as well and we have hope so on this good Friday morning as we contemplate the main event in all of human history I want I would like for us to be overwhelmed with the love mercy grace and even the justice of God to send a son to die for your sin to pay the penalty for your sin this truth, this reality is the motivation of our lives now and forever and I want us to turn just quickly and I'm going to read a portion of scripture from Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 through 14 and they sang a new song and you get the context here it's before the throne of God look at this and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and the open it seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nations. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders. The voice of angels numbering numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the Lamb who was slain and might and honor and glory and blessing and it heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and on the earth and the seed and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped The reality of Christ going to the cross. Becoming sin for you and for me. Paying the penalty for our sin. Is going to be the theme of our lives. Now and on into eternity. For eternity. Be able to sing. Worthy is the Lamb. The one who was slain. From everyone. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Oh, my friends, this morning, as we just briefly ran through this this song of a suffering servant, Christ going to the cross, paying the penalty for my sin, taking my place, your place, on there, taking all the wrath of God. That this morning we can be overwhelmed with the love, mercy, and grace and justice of our God. That we can be made righteous. That we can be justified because of Christ and His work and who He is and what He's done for us on the cross and what He continues to do today. Father, thank You for Your Word and for Your truth encourage our hearts and challenge us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.